I want to welcome you to worship at First Baptist Church today. And I also want to welcome our guest preacher for today. Dr. David Hankins has served as pastor in Louisiana and recently has served as executive director of the Louisiana Baptist Convention, leading Louisiana Baptists in their work for the kingdom of God. He and Patty are our members, and we're thankful to have them at First Baptist Church. Would you join me in welcoming them? Good morning, church. Today we're going to look at a parable of Jesus that's found in the Bible in the Gospel of Luke and the 18th chapter. I want to thank our pastor for inviting me to, to preach at my home church while he's away on his uh, July sabbatical. So I'm glad to be a part of this congregation with my family and I know you rejoice with me at the leadership of Waylon and Martha, and we pray for them that they'll find refreshment and relaxation and rejuvenation in their time away. Look at the text with me today. Verse 9, Luke, the 18th chapter. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men went up to the temple to pray. That's always a good idea. The Bible says we ought to Always pray and not faint. But the trouble was only one of these prayers was an effective prayer. It was the prayer of confession. Confession is good for the soul. That's a proverb of long standing that's affirmed by virtually every religious body. Confession is good for the soul. Our Roman Catholic friends have a, a rather involved organized, regulated system of confession that's a very important part of their church life. Those of us, though, in the, in the free church, like Baptist, even though we don't have as intricate system of confession, still believe that we need to confess our sins. We believe in the value of confession, whether it's a spontaneous confession where we just cry out, Lord, forgive me, or, or one that's planned like a, a week of prayer and fasting. Whether it's individual or whether it's corporate, we believe that we need to confess our sins. Jesus told this parable to some folks who didn't believe that, 
who didn't believe they needed to confess. Of course, he's talking about the Pharisees, his constant adversaries during his public ministry. And so the character in his parable, the Pharisee, represents those real-life Pharisees who had some serious flaws in their understanding of this subject. The first flaw was they thought they were already righteous. The second flaw was that they looked down on everyone else. And the third and most serious flaw was that they trusted in themselves for salvation. So Jesus teaches this parable to bring a correction to them and hopefully to us so that we could understand why we need to confess our sins. First reason we see from the parable, we need to confess our sins because confession makes us honest with ourselves. I heard about a fellow at running up several flights of stairs of an apartment building, going to his girlfriend's apartment. And when he got there, he banged on the door furiously, and he hollered in there, open this door right now. I know you're two-timing me. I know you've got another fella in there. And he banged on the door. After a few minutes of commotion, she opened the door. and She said, what is the matter with you? There's not anybody else in here. But he brushed past her, and he, he looked under the couch, and he, he opened the closet door. And then he noticed the curtains blowing out of an open window, over the fire escape. So he ran over there and he looked out and sure enough, there was a fellow scurrying down the fire escape. It made him so mad, he reached over and picked up the refrigerator and shoved it out the window. Well, the exertion was too much for him and he had a heart attack and he dropped dead. So he woke up and found himself in the anteroom of heaven waiting to see St. Peter and there was a couple other guys there with him. St. Peter comes up to him and says, Tell me what happened. And he told him the story about how he gone up there and got mad in the refrigerator and all of that. And St. Peter shook his head and said, okay, have a seat. He turned to the second guy and said, what happened to you? And the guy said, I don't know. I was, I was late for work and I was running down the fire escape of my building to the parking lot. And all of a sudden, boom, something hit me. And that's it. Simon Peter said, okay, have a seat. He turned to the third guy and said, said what happened to you? And the guy said, I don't know. I was just sitting in a refrigerator minding my own business. <laughs> there are a lot of people who stand before God and say, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just minding my own business. Jesus told this parable to people who were confident in their own righteousness. He's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees overestimated their righteousness. They were self-righteous, and they really believed it. So Jesus has the Pharisee character in the story stand up, and the text says, pray about himself. He's really extolling his virtues before God and before all those who care to listen to his prayer. He's saying, I am a righteous man. I fast twice in the week. Tuesday and Thursdays were the fast days, and, and they would make sure that everyone knew that they were fasting, that they were very pious. They wouldn't comb their hair or wash their face. They want, face. They wanted that gaunt and, and haggard look to show how righteous they were. And he says, I give a tenth of all that I get. Jesus talked about the Pharisees not only tithing their money, but they would tithe their plants, take off nine leaves for themselves and, and give a leaf for God. 
I heard about one rabbi that trained his horse to be a tither. The horse would take nine bites of oats and then leave a bite for God. They believed they were righteous, and they really believed it. One rabbi named Simon ben Jockai believed that he was righteous. He said, if there are only two righteous people in the world, it is my son and myself. He said, if there's only one, it is I. They really believed they were righteous, but they were wrong. Jesus knew they were wrong. The people knew they were wrong. They were the only ones that didn't know they were wrong. They weren't honest enough with themselves to, to see that they needed to confess their sins. Jesus wrote a letter through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation to the church at Laodicea. And Laodicea's claim was, I have need of nothing. And Jesus said, is that right? You're poor and blind and naked and don't even have enough honesty to recognize that you have needs. You know, in the political realm, we call that putting spin on something. You know, instead of telling the truth and being honest about it, you just spin it a little bit, make it sound more palatable. I heard some statements made by past mayors of, of large American cities. One mayor was accused of committing a crime, and his response was, I did not commit a crime. I just didn't abide by the law. Spin. Another mayor was criticized uh, because of the, the, the rising crime rate in his city. And he, he, he responded by saying, we don't have a problem with crime in our city except the murders. Spin. Another mayor was, was asked to explain why the streets weren't safe in his city. He said, well, that's not true. The streets are safe. It's the people who are unsafe. There you go. Spin. Confession makes us honest with ourselves. You know, confession is not self-deprecation. It's not putting yourself down. It's self-appraisal. And its whole goal is to let you see the true picture so that there might be some correction, some remedy out there for what's wrong with you. Maybe some confession needs to take place this morning. What if you were to make this confession? I'm not very devotional. Maybe all the people around the church think I'm really going you know, to have this close walk with God, but I just want to be honest. I'm, I'm not as close to God as I need to be. I don't spend time with him and I just want to I just want to admit that I want to confess that maybe that would open up a doorway of opportunity you would draw near to God and he would draw near to you and all of a sudden you have that intimacy that you've longed for well how about this confession I'm not very loving I know I'm supposed to care about other people but the truth of the matter is I, I find myself focusing on me way too much and not anybody else but you just make that confession just honest I I'm not very caring. Again, it might lead to the development of some real tender and wonderful and meaningful relationships as you put your focus on someone else. How about if you made this confession? I'm letting some of my habits really get out of control. I'm not in control of my anger. I'm, I'm not in control of my greed. I saw a cartoon once that, where a guy is saying, most people find my little peccadillos very endearing. Well, they really don't. You know, at best, they find them aggravating. What if you just were honest about it and say, these things are out of control. I, 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 I'm not in charge. I, I need help. Then maybe you could 
find the source and find the solution to those things that are bothering you. How about if you made this confession? It's my fault. I've been blaming circumstance. and I've been blaming other people, but the truth is it's my fault. It's my failure. I'm the one that's responsible for this. It's my fault. Maybe, maybe that would all of a sudden bring resolution to that conflict that's been going on that hadn't, hadn't been settled. Or how about this confession? I am not Superman. I am not Superwoman. I haven't got my act together. I can't do all of this. I'm overwhelmed. One preacher said the second greatest confession in the New Testament after Jesus is Lord is the one that Paul and Barnabas made at Lystra when the people were trying to worship them as gods and they waved them off and said, stop it. We are but men. That's a good confession for you to make. I'm just a man. I'm, I'm just a woman. Maybe that would help you lessen all those anxieties you're feeling. Maybe that would help lower all those expectations you have of yourself or maybe others have of you. See what confession does? It makes us honest with ourselves. And it leads to solutions. You know, the truth of the matter is, everybody else probably already knows what's going on with you. Your family, your friends, your co-workers. You may be the only one that's not being honest with yourself. And listen to me. Confession is not going to destroy you. It's just going to destroy your false perception of yourself. So maybe we need to have a time of honesty before the Lord. Asking God to look into us and reveal to us the things we need to know. As the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We need to confess our sins because confession makes us honest with ourselves. But then we need to confess our sins because confession makes us sensitive to others. Jesus told this parable to people who look down on everyone else. And again, he's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were elitist. They were exclusionary. They thought they were the only ones. And they considered everyone else someone to be despised. They looked down on everyone else. In fact, the Pharisees called everybody that was not a part of their group the people of the land. And they would have nothing to do with the people of the land. They certainly wouldn't share a meal with them, wouldn't even share a conversation with them. In fact, when they were out in public, the Pharisees would wrap their righteous robes around them and, and avert their eyes so they didn't have to look in the face of one of the people of the land. One rabbi said, I would rather my daughter be torn to shreds by wild animals than to marry one of the people of the land. So they just put them down. And so the Pharisee character in the story begins to pray, thank you, God, that I am not like all other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or, or even like, ugh, this, this tax collector. What if the Pharisees had had a practice of confessing their sins, of, of being honest with themselves? Maybe Jesus could have told a different kind of parable about Pharisees. Maybe in that parable, the Pharisee, instead of standing up there and wagging his finger at that tax collector and shaming him and embarrassing him in public, maybe he would just go over there and meet him and say, I don't know, what's going on in your life, but it's obviously you're having some struggles with 
I want you to know I have struggles too. I, I'm a fellow struggler. And this is a good place to come. I come here often. I, it, it really, we get, you get the help you need. And maybe in there, that situation, they could arm in arm could pray for one another and encourage one another. But Jesus couldn't tell that kind of parable because the Pharisees weren't in the habit of being honest and confessing their sins. Therefore, they had no realization and no sympathy about the sins and flaws of others. Confession makes us sensitive to others. I heard about a preacher that went out to visit a farm, and he noticed a sight the farmer was showing him there. He saw a pig that had a wooden leg. And the preacher said to the farmer, why has that pig got a wooden leg? And the, and the, and the farmer said, oh, that's a great pig. He said, listen, a while back we heard some banging on the door in the middle of the night, and we got up, and that pig was banging on the door. He had smelled smoke, and he had awakened us, and our house was on fire, and he, he helped save our whole family. He's a great pig. And the preacher said, yeah, that sounds like a great pig, but tell me about that wooden leg. He said, well, that's not all. My, my boy was swimming in the pond, and he couldn't get back to shore, and that pig went in and, and grabbed hold of him and, and rescued him and brought him back to shore. And he said, he's a great pig. And the preacher said, sounds like a great pig, but tell me about that wooden leg. He said, oh, listen. Another occasion, one of my farmhands turned the tractor over on himself and he couldn't get out. That pig ran all the way back up and got us and took us out there and we were able to, to get the guy free. He's a great pig. And the preacher said, yes, he's a great pig, but why that wooden leg? And the, and the farmer said, well, preacher, you don't eat a great pig like that all at once. <laughs> That's right. This is the appropriate time to groan. Oh, oh. You know, in a fine crowd like this, I believe there's not anybody here that would ever have the thought pass through their mind that they would go out and shoot up a schoolhouse or a supermarket. You just say, I would never be like that. In fact, you would never even, even imagine that you would go and mug somebody to take their purse or their wallet away. But way too often, the people of God, folks like us, chew on other folks one bite at a time until we completely do them in. And they die the death of a thousand cuts, what the New Testament calls biting and devouring one another. You know, they say you, you can't get a good man down. Well, that's not true. You keep carping, you keep criticizing, you keep belittling, you keep insulting, you keep yammering. You can just squeeze the life out of another person. People that would never do any outward violence do violence to their fellow man. I used to hear the saying when I was a kid, sticks and stones may break your bones, but... Words will never hurt you. Are you kidding me? Words hurt people all the time. Thousands of times across this country, in domestic situations, spouses talking to each other like nobody ought to talk to anybody. Harming people with words and, and children being traumatized and perhaps scarred for life because of unthinking or uncaring insensitive parents or guardians yeah words can hurt and now we've got social media 
so you can hide behind your computer screen and fire away at will. Just keep landing those blows. Bang, 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 bang away on social media. A couple of years before I retired, my communications team said I needed to get a Twitter account, kind of get, get with the modern world. So I said, okay, get me one. And they came to me after a few weeks and said, well, how, how are you liking that Twitter account? I said, oh, it's great. I get my hate mail so much faster now. You just keep banging away. Why do we do that? I don't know all the reasons, but maybe one of them is because we don't confess our own flaws and sins, and so we're insensitive to those that others have. There's a term called projection that psychologists use that says we even take those things that we're feeling or sensing, maybe even subconsciously, and we project them onto other people and criticize them for the very things that are going on in our lives. Let me tell you something. You need to confess your sins because it will make you sensitive to other people and the struggles that they're having. Now, you may not have as bad a sins as they do, as notorious, as destructive, as hurtful, but you have sins. And you can understand that they do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say about any person that we see, except for the grace of God, there go I. I could be as bad as that person if it weren't for God's help in my life. And so we need to confess our sins because it makes us sensitive to others. Listen, folks, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. I was so encouraged. I was doubtful it would ever happen. But I was so encouraged by the recent ruling of the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case that said the previous Supreme Court was wrong. There is no right to an abortion in the Constitution of the United States of America. That ruling, recent ruling, overturned a landmark case called Roe v. Wade, which said there was a constitutional right to abortion. Wade is the name of Henry Wade, who was the district attorney in Dallas County where the case was filed. He was the, the defendant. And Roe was Jane Roe, a pseudonym for the woman who was bringing the, the, the complaint that she was prevented from getting an abortion. It was a violation of her rights. Jane Roe has a real name. Her name's Norma McCorby. She died a few years ago. Norma McCorby had a troubled life. Her pregnancy that she used to file suit because she couldn't get an abortion was not her first one. Of course, the case wasn't resolved so long after her child was born and given up for adoption, a girl. And after Roe v. Wade, then Norma McCarvey became part of that life, and she had a troubled existence and struggled with the relationships and all, all the other kind of things you can imagine. And she worked as a proponent for the abortion movement. And so it happened that in a few years into this that, that the group she worked with uh, got located right next to an Operation Rescue pro-life movement. As you know, pretty aggressive movement. In fact, they probably moved in in order to, to kind of do battle. But over the course of time, the volunteers and workers in the uh, abortion place and the pro-life place got to know one another. Norma McCarvey was one of those people. And the people in the pro-life movement, Operation Rescue, got to know her. 
And in the course of time, they shared the gospel with her. And Norma McCorvey gave her life to Jesus Christ. He began to change her, work on those things she needed. One of the things was she changed sides and began to work for the pro-life movement and spent the rest of her life doing that until she died. I don't think there's anybody happier than the Dobbs with the Dobbs decision than Norma McCorvey, Miss Jane Rowe. But here's the point. The transformation that came in her life was not because they out-argued her, because they badgered her, because they protested against her or threatened her. It was because they loved her, cared for her as a person. The church doesn't need more judges. It needs more confessors. But then the third and most important reason you need to confess your sin is because confession makes you right with God. Jesus contrasts two approaches to salvation here in this parable. One approach was a man who trusted himself. I got this, God. I'll just be righteous. The other approach was the tax collector, the publican, as the King James Version said, stood off at a distance. He didn't want to be in the center of attention. Wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the force of the language is really stronger than that. Not a sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, the sinner par excellence, or as the Apostle Paul said, the chief of sinners. That's who I am, God. And so the question for us this morning is, which one of those approaches worked? Which one of those men went down to his home right with God? Jesus answers the question, the one who confessed his sin. This one, rather than the other, went home justified. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't say, this one who confessed his sin went home justified, and the other one also went home justified because he kept all the rules. Jesus doesn't say that. He said, this one rather than the other. Just like so many of Jesus' parable is a judgment parable. Got to get on one side of the issue or the other. So he closes the parable by saying, the one who exalts himself, says, I got this, God, I'm righteous, is going to be humbled, is going to be lost. But the one who humbles himself, he says, begs for mercy, is going to be exalted. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, There is nothing more deadly than self-righteousness and nothing more filled with hope than repentance. That other famous preacher, Hankins, said it this way, Salvation is an act of grace on God's part that's ratified by an act of confession on our part. We need to confess our sins because confession makes us right with God. Christian writer Bruce Larson talked about something he saw when he was riding the subway. He looked at the advertisement above the witness on the opposite side and he saw this advertisement that depicted a rather distinguished-looking older gentleman dressed in a tuxedo and tipping a top hat to a very beautiful young lady. And some graffiti artist, Larson surmised some preteen boy trying to write the most lascivious thing he could think of, had, had put one of those 
cartoon balloons coming out of the, the distinguished man's mouth. And he wrote these words, I like grills, G-R-I-L-S. I like grills. Well, Larson said a second graffiti artist came along in a different hand and wrote this message below there and says, It's girls, G-I-R-L-S, stupid, not grills. So then he said the coup de gras was a third graffiti artist under that wrote this. But what about us grills? What about us grills? I got news for all you grills here today, all you fifth wheels, all you square pegs trying to fit in round holes, all you walking wounded, all of you publicans, all of you sinners. The world says stand up on your hind two feet and say, I got this, I'm, I'm right, I can do whatever I want to do. God says, don't stand up on your hind two feet, get on your knees and confess your sins and you will be made right with me. Patty and I had the opportunity to go to Paris a few years ago. Many of you have visited that beautiful city and one of the places we saw there was the beautiful Notre Dame Cathedral. It was in the news the last couple of years because it caught on fire and they're still trying to repair it. Well, I heard about the Archbishop of, of the Notre Dame Cathedral quite a while back who was preaching to this congregation and told them this story. He said there were three young hooligans running around Paris late at night looking for trouble and they happened upon the cathedral's property. And two of the hooligans dared the third one to go up to a statue of Christ on the cross and kneel down before it and say three times, you did all of this for me and I don't care. And so the young man took the dare and he went up there and knelt down before the statue and he said, you did all of this for me and I don't care. He started a second time, you did all of this for me. There was a catch in his throat and he mumbled it out and, and I don't care. And he started a third time and he couldn't say a word and he broke down sobbing and then the archbishop said to his congregation that young hooligan those years ago was me and there on my knees before a statue of Christ I found forgiveness for my sins what's your prayer today I fast twice in the week I give a tenth of all I get or, you did all of this for me, and I don't care. Or maybe your prayer is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Would you bow your heads, please? In just a moment after I've prayed, we're going to stand together, and the musicians will lead us, and the pastors will be at the front. And it'll be your chance to make that commitment public that you've been thinking about and contemplating and talking with someone about it. They'll help you with that. But I wonder if this is a day where you need to come to confess. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come for that? Father, we're so grateful 
mystified that you would love the likes of us, wayward as we are. But we thank you for it. And our prayer today is be merciful to me, the sinner. For Jesus' sake, amen.